Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jobsolete. I'm Helen Hong. And I'm Matt Beat. And today we're talking about wax workers. People might know that they had a kind of a side hustle in wax erotica. Often they were kind of miniatures, erotic scenes, things like that. Today, if we want to see our favorite celebrity, we just open up a computer. But imagine a time long before mass media. Without getting that rare opportunity to see them in person, how would you have any idea what the queen or king looked like? Well, there was another way. It did require going to a museum. That's why wax museums were really more than just a tourist attraction back in the day. Wax museums were places to see and be seen, and they were part of the news of the time. And this episode lets wax nostalgic for the wax sculptor, the person who practically brought these celebrities to life by recreating life-size, hyper-realistic versions of them. Have you ever been to a wax museum, Helen? I have. I've been to Madame Tussauds, and it's a little creepy. I think it's kind of creepy because some of the figures do look so realistic, I mean, they do a really good job. One of the most memorable experiences of my life, actually, it was the Presidential Wax Museum. Oh, (laughs) wait, how old were you? And like, what was your impression of of seeing that? I would have been about 10 years old. And I was a big president geek back then. Totally not now, like presidential history. (laughs) I'm totally not known on the internet as that guy now. But (laughs) back then, I I was in awe. But yeah. You were in history geek heaven. Yes, I was. (laughs) Well, what are we talking about today? Are we talking about the person who makes those figures? Because I am kind of fascinated by those people. Yeah. And of course, they still are around today. We'll get into that more later. But, you know, the... This actually used to be a much more common thing to be a a wax sculptor. I'm assuming that wax sculptures are only like where they did they start out only for wax museums. No, they did not. They go way back and it started out with funerals 
actually. Hmm. Yeah, so we we did talk to an expert on wax. She's actually writing a book about wax. Um, my name is Jennifer Tucker, and I teach modern history at Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. The first known use of wax for modeling was the sculpting of bronze and jewelry using something called the lost wax casting process. And so that method was used for making a wide variety of uh, figures and portraits in ancient Greece, and then it remained popular throughout the 19th century and is kind of making a, a comeback. Wax was used over the centuries for a number of different purposes. It was used for death masks, for making wax models, sometimes for funerals, and it was also used in medical education. The use of wax sculpture of the deceased was a common part of funeral ceremonies of very important people over a long stretch of European history. Sometimes they were shown lying on the coffin at the funeral, and sometimes they were dressed in the clothes of the deceased. Oh, that's a good point. Like if the king is already bloated and 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 they didn't know, <laughs> they didn't know how to make the king look good. So they were yeah. like, you know what? Let's 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 just make a wax figure of the king. And because, you know, you don't know when you're going to croak, sometimes they would commission these long before they died just, you know, to be ready. Oh, that's extra that's <laughs> extra creepy. If you're like, you know what? This is going to be my funeral body stand-in. And and then and you commission it and it's made and now you're like face to face with yourself <laughs> like in wax. Oh, that's real creepy. I'd be staring at myself like <laughs> my mouth I'd be open. like I'd be like wait a minute. That mole is not that big. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> The uh, It wasn't just funerals, it wasn't just as a medical tool, but it was also folk art. You would have people that got a hold of beeswax, and they would just make small sculptures in their free time, if they ever did have free time. That tradition carried on, kind of underground. Like, we don't see these waxworks today, we just assume that they existed based on some writings and... Accounts. Oh yeah, I guess I guess they don't really stand the test of time if they're melty wax. <laughs> but yeah, so now let's go to the age of display. The period where where the wax effigies were being made for funerals began to to wane in the middle of the 18th century and after that the waxworks become really part of commercial entertainment, kind of an urban attraction. Sometimes waxworks were set up in fashionable shopping or theater districts. Their competitors would be things like balloonescence and magic lantern shows and theater. So it, it kind of went from being this art that had connections to the church to becoming something that was really for the masses. Historians have called the 19th century an age of display. So, you know, a time when exhibitions and museums were vying for the public's attention. So places like Paris and London and in the United States, places like Philadelphia and New York became hubs for waxwork exhibitions. Yeah, you know, when I lived in New York City and I, I had started my stand-up comedy career, it was annoying <laughs> to see people go into the wax museum and not come to the comedy club. Yeah. So I, I get her. I get her saying that it was competition. Like, we'd be like, come, come see comedy, come to the comedy club. They're like, nah, we're going to go see Brad Pitt in wax over here. We're going to go see one someone who's not alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, were these people who were making these wax sculptures, they're, they're artists, right? They're kind of like painters, like, 
hey, come to the museum and see a painting, or let's go to the wax museum and see a wax sculpture. Yeah, and this is before the photograph, before the motion picture, so this was as close as you were going to get to actually seeing what someone actually looked like. A big part of their appeal is this appearance of being true or real. It's sort of uncanny. You know, you could walk around them, and you could look at them, and you could stare at them up close in a way that you couldn't really stare at real people up close. Um, so they, they really provided this sense of proximity. You know, it was this kind of strange medium. It was real and unreal. These were also popular in the era before illustrated newspapers. So many times the, the, the kind of important figures who were exhibited, people would, might know their name, but they wouldn't necessarily know what they looked like. And even if they saw them in a crowd, it would have been from far away. That's crazy to me. So, like, yeah. there was no Brad Pitt of the time or Angelina Jolie of the time. Because, like, who would know who was the hottest person? <laughs> like, yeah. How would you even know if there were hot celebrities if no one, ever, no one really ever got to see anybody? Well, the idea of hot celebrities didn't even exist back then. We They, didn't, they couldn't even fathom that. I mean, think about world leaders up until... The photograph. For the most part, you got a lot of not so good looking world leaders, you know. Right. Like George, like George Washington apparently had wooden teeth. And then here's another thought that really wrap your head around this. If even even before the photograph, which came around the 1830s, 1840s, you only had paintings, but really only the super wealthy and powerful people had paintings of them. I mean, sure, these wax figures were mostly famous people, but that three-dimensional life-size aspect of it and like the attention to detail to make them look as realistic as possible, that was it. That was like, that's why they were such big attractions. It's mind-blowing to think that you could have like the monarchy, like the king or the queen who's ruling everything. Nobody knows what they look like. (laughs) Nobody. Nobody's seen them. And then suddenly someone's like, hey, come see a wax sculpture. I'd be like, hell yeah, I want to see what this king and queen looks like. Yeah, this was maybe that if there's a wax figure nearby, this is their chance, their one chance to see what they truly look like, you know? Wow. Okay, I get it. Who were these people who were making the wax figures? Like, were they, like, did they go to school, like wax sculpting school? Like, what was that about? A lot of them were starving artists, and that's part of the reason why we don't really know that much about them. The other thing is that many of them were women. What? Patience Wright, she entered into it when she was a widow and had five kids. And so I think that that sort of is an indicator that sometimes people went into it to to sort of learn an art in order that they would be able to, uh, they might be able to turn some money out of it and make a reputation for themselves. What? Some of them were women? Uh, yeah, many of them were actually. And, and it was a, a family thing, like the whole family. The kids would, would learn how to do it as well. It would be passed down. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher 
I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it. And I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like Jennifer was mentioning that they would try to get money. We could get into this a little later here about one way they could make money, probably the best way to make Let's just get into it now. Why not? Let's, let's get into this. Some of the artists who made waxes had a kind of a side business making waxes as erotica. Some societies were more strict about the circulation of this material than others. And so... Some of the wax artists might not have advertised it publicly that that's what they were doing, but people might know that they had a kind of a side hustle in wax erotica. Often they were kind of miniatures, erotic scenes, things like that. And it was it was, could be a risky business because sometimes if the the wax artists were discovered to have these, they could be thrown in prison. What? Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts. Okay, so obviously- Are they pure thoughts? No, they're dirty, dirty thoughts. Mm -hmm. Because like, I can't even imagine a world without porn, Matt. But that was like most of human history. There was no like dirty things that you could see on the internet. And so the only way you could see dirty images (laughs) is if- some wax worker has like a side business like, psst, hey, psst, 
come into this back room and I've got some dirty wax scenes. <laughs> I'm sure this was actually more widespread than we than what we have evidence for. <laughs> I love that. I love that she said they're miniatures, like they're they're sculpting little scenes, like pornographic scenes that are like two inches tall. <laughs> I mean, I, if you use your imagination, you could think about all kinds of things that could be made out of wax because you know sex sells and <laughs> medieval Europe uh, and even you know all the way up to Victorian Europe. It's just it's just so taboo. Yeah. So of course we're not gonna. It, we can only speculate. That is funny. Now we can go back to more sophisticated forms of wax sculpting, maybe to kind of clean up this episode. So I told you, Matt, when I the like the one time that I went to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, it, I was creeped out by like how realistic some of the figures were. Like, were they that realistic back then? You think they were, and that's why they were so appealing. So the the process of making a wax figure hasn't changed very much over the the past two or three hundred years. A sculptor in the 18th century, they would try to meet the person, study the person. They might take sketches. They might measure their features using a caliper. Then they would make a mold. Then they would pour hot beeswax or vegetable wax into the hollow mold and they would cool it until just a thick layer of wax hardened around the the inside. And then once the um, cast had been made, it can be tinted, it can be painted, it can be adorned with hair and teeth and nails. Facial hair and head hair was dyed and styled. Um, of course, sometimes people were bald or they had different kind of, you know, and that was easier to do, probably faster, um, because inserting the hair could take a lot of time. That it had to warm the wax and then insert it with a needle individually. When it came to the clothes, um, in the 18th century, sometimes they would um, pay a great deal of attention to the costume. Sometimes the, um, the people who are, ha- who are being modeled will supply their own clothes. I mean, it really, it's an amazing art form, especially like the ones, I, I, you know, listeners, I know a lot of you have been to Madame Tussauds or like some sort of wax museum. And it, some of them are so realistic, it's like scary. That word creepy keeps coming up because, you know, like you just stare at it like, wait a second, are you, are you actually alive? Am I, am I <laughs> tripping right now? Uh, I think now it's time to bring up some, some people uh, that were important to wax sculpting. Philippe Curtius. And he's a great example of someone who made this more of a professional thing. In the 1770s, one of the well-known wax artists was Philippe Curtius, who was a physician from Switzerland who got his start in medicine. He, in, in medical school, people noticed that he was very good at making models of organs. He didn't really like the sight of blood, and he started to realize he could go into this uh, the business of making artworks. A duke in Paris and invited to come there and to set up a salon. He brought his housekeeper and his niece and they set up in the boulevard in Paris and he starts to create wax portraits and wax figures of some of the important people who are coming to Paris. So his idea for the salon was that that people could pay to kind of walk around and see all the important people. There might be music, uh, there would be candlelight, because it was before the age of electricity, and people could walk around and sort of study the wax figures. This was a kind of unique way of using waxworks as a kind of a combination of journalism and entertainment. Do you know what she means when 
when she says salon. Es essentially, they were civilized parties where it, it's, it, it was a party. It was a gathering, but the whole purpose was, you know, personal growth, I guess. And exchange it, ideas, right? Like, Yeah. They would yeah. drink lots of coffee. They'd be caffeinated up and they'd be like mm. trying to one-up. They're constantly one-upping each other. Obviously, I, I've never been to a salon because they kind of went out of style 200 right. years ago. But this is the type of event where Philippe would start to showcase his works and word of mouth got out. And, and next thing you know, he was making wax sculptures for the king. Yeah, there's something um, there's something their ego feeding about it. Like I've had the pleasure of having like fan art made of me. You know, people will send me fan art on, uh, to Instagram and stuff like that. And it's like, ooh, like I get an ego boost. Like someone took the time to like sketch or, or digitally, you know, paint or, or whatever the medium is, this impression of what I look like. Now, 1770s, this is starting to lead up to a tumultuous time in French history. You know, the, the commoners are getting fed up and mm. soon we have the French Revolution. So in, in a way, Philippe Curtius was a journalist because he had a mission to get as many of these wax models out to the general public as possible to be more connected with, with these people, I, I guess. I, I know that sounds kind of weird, though. No, I totally get that because, you know, today in the modern era, we take for granted, you know, you can turn on the news at any time or open the internet and see a picture of world leaders, of celebrities, you know, it's it's right there at our fingertips. But before any of that happened, it was journalism compared with art, right? So it was kind of like photojournalism, but like way more laborious. Yeah, this again, this is before the photograph by several decades. This must have been so mind-blowing if you're a common person and you see a wax sculpture of the king and you knew about the king your whole life. You've been paying taxes to the king and you heard a rumor that Marie Antoinette said, let them eat cake, and you're like so mad at her. And now you get to see a <laughs> wax sculpture of her and you're like, that bitch. Well, that, that leads us to the, the French Revolution. Philippe and his niece had both continued to make wax models during the French Revolution. In Paris at that time, the, the, the important people were, were changing. The political turmoil meant that he had to be very careful to move the, the, the politically unpopular waxworks to the back of the room or even just completely discard them and melt them down so that he didn't seem to be favoring one you know, political party more than the other. And eventually, as the monarchy was thrown out and then you had the revolutionaries, the, the figures in the museum kept changing. And he and his niece were asked to make modeled heads of some of the people who were not only coming into power, but also some of the ones that were falling out of favor. They made wax works of the decapitated heads of <gasps> many of the people who were guillotined, some of whom they knew, some of whom had been coming to the, the salon for years. Sometimes people would give their clothes in order that they could be dressed in a realistic way. So, so it was very politically charged. And, you know, if we can imagine the, you know, the niece, especially because we think that, that Philippe Curtius might have had a little bit of aversion to blood, that she actually was, was the one who was taking the, the bloody heads in her, you know, essentially in her lap and make, having to make a, a death cast out of those faces. What? <laughs> what? Wait a minute. So they would bring them the, bl the actual bloody heads? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, they'd say, here, here, Philip, we have new heads in. Horrible French accent. Uh, <laughs> Matt, uh, your French accent just, is terrible. But yeah, there were so many people being executed that he was he was having a hard time catch up with. <laughs> he's like people every day. Like, here's another head, and he's like, "Ugh, just set it down on the counter. I'll yeah. get to that head later." <laughs> so he's like, "Hey, niece, niece, you're on severed head duty." <laughs> Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Philippe, he died at the height of the French Revolution. It was still going on, but he had... He had taught his niece everything he knew. By that, by the time he passed away, she carried on the tradition. Her name was Marie, and in 1795, she married a, a gentleman named Francois Tussaud. <gasps> uh-huh. Yeah. I see where this is headed. The person who's, who was associated with him, who's better known today, is Marie Tussaud, and she eventually inherited 
the business from him. They worked together and they collaborated. And eventually she became an artist in her own right. She, after his death, moved to England in 1802 and began to um, establish herself there in London. And we think about Tussauds Museum in London as a kind of permanent establishment, but she's just one of many other waxworks artists. A lot of entertainers, magic lantern artists and theater proprietors might have a waxworks exhibition as part of their display. For just over 30 years, she traveled across England, Ireland, all across Scotland with her waxwork figures as a, a commercial entertainer partly because of Madame Tussauds' tremendous success and her longevity, the fact that her museum still amazingly endures uh, in, a, in a changing world of visual technology. The fact is that it, it's also overshadowed a lot of lesser well-known waxworked artists. Wow, so Philippe's niece is Madame Tussauds. Yeah. That's crazy that she started doing this in the 1700s and we still have Madame Tussauds today. So Marie Tussauds, Definitely had a prolific career. She lived in t- into the 1850s. And like Jennifer said, she made a name for herself. I have so many thoughts on, on Marie Tussauds. The fact that this was like an artistry that a lot of women were allowed to do is very, very cool. Because obviously, back in that time, women were, you know, just second class citizens. Like women just couldn't do a lot of jobs and women weren't respected. And the fact that she could be an apprentice to her famous uncle and like learned everything that he taught her is super cool. But also that she hustled, like she hustled so (laughs) hard. She put all these wax sculptures in a wagon and she's like trucking them all over the country. Like she hustled so much that we know her name to this day. Yeah, her original museum was in London. She established it in 1835 and it's bigger than ever today. Yeah, so if it's still that popular, Matt, why are we even talking about this on Job Sleep? That's a good question, yeah. So I would say that today, wax museums are still very niche. It's not like there's very many people in the world right now that actually do this. Because there are so many alternatives to wax sculptures as far as ways to see people. Yeah. (laughs) According to Jennifer, there was even a backlash against them. So what happened in the world that made them less important by the 1830s and 40s? One is that some of these these metropolitan entertainments were falling out of of fashion. And, And so, you know... Fashions change. And also around that time was the the invention of photography in 1839. So, you know, and some artists were already starting to look down their noses at it or talking about them as puppets or marionettes. And for an artist to be described as making something that looked like a waxwork at Tussauds would, would have been seen as kind of a harsh criticism. So even though it the the kind of fairground waxworks became less popular, they didn't they didn't die away completely. In the early 20th century, there were these stories about drunken aristocrats running around the the, the Tussauds Museum at night. So it didn't have that kind of stamp of class that, that Madame Tussauds had, had wanted it to have. But what's interesting is that after the war, in the 1950s and 60s especially, waxwork becomes embraced by British pop art. When the Beatles commissioned the English pop artist Peter Blake to make the sleeve for the record of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, they asked for their favorite Tussauds portraits, including their own, to be incorporated in the in the collage. It was also like just it kind of went out of style. It was like uh, it, it was like a weird kind of 
cultural shift, you know? Yeah, I, I could see how, like, like, I've never met a wax sculptor. And, you know, it's pretty unusual. Like, I am a stand-up comedian, and that's already mm-hmm. pretty unusual. But if someone told me that they were a wax sculptor, I'd be like, what? Yeah. You're a what? <laughs> I had never realized that Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, that cover had wax a wax sculpture in it, or wax sculptures. I think I thought it was like a like a cardboard cutout. That's crazy that those are wax figures. Ooh, yeah, that's creepy. It's like every time I see a wax figure that looks really realistic, I find it like something about it really creeps me out. But I will say, Matt, though, that as soon as I'm rich and famous, you know, one of the first things I'm going to do is commission a wax sculpture of myself. Okay, well, do you want me to make the the wax sculpture or do you, do you want someone else to do it? Because I mean, no. I think... No, Matt. I, I want it pro- off. No, Matt. I want a professional who knows what they're doing. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's not very many of them. <laughs> Jobsolete is produced for iHeartRadio by Zealot Manufacturing Hand Forge Podcast for you. It's hosted by us, Helen Hong. That's me. And Matt Beat. That's me. The show was conceived and produced by Jason Elliott, Steve Zamarki, and Anthony Savini. Our editor is Tommy Nickel. Our researcher is Amelia Polka. Our production coordinator is Angie Jaimez. And theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. A special thanks to our iHeartRadio team, led by Nikki Etor, Katrina Norvell, Ali Cantor, Mangesh Hadi Kador, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, and Bob Pittman. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.